0: You know what, to hell with it, let's talk about Roman Reigns. Let's talk about how the biggest mistake Roman Reigns ever made. The Roman Reigns scandal embarrassed me, all right? Because as the architect of the shield, I brought Roman Reigns into the fold. And that mistake that he made that got him suspended, that embarrasses me. That soils my good name. No excuses, I own it. I, I own it, you own it, Roman? How very manly of you to own it, you own up after the fact. I get it, like a, like a real tough guy. Well, you can own it all you want, Roman, because the bottom line is, I own you. I've always owned you, Roman. I owned you last year at WrestleMania. And I own you and money in the bank when I beat you in the center of this ring for the WWE Championship. And the more I think about it, Roman Reigns doesn't deserve a second chance. Roman Reigns doesn't deserve forgiveness. And most of all, Roman Reigns does not deserve to be in the main event at Battleground. It may be because he's Swiss. I don't know in terms of European style. I can take you to Suplex City tonight, bitch. Can you say the alphabet backwards? Walking well, I can rip your ass backwards. You're not funny and nobody likes you. This ain't Monday Night Raw. This life way.
1: It's Wrestle Rant Radio. Welcome back, folks, to WrestleRant Radio. For June 28th, 2016, I'm Graham G.S. Matthews. Hope you guys are doing well. As the road to SummerSlam continues, only 54 days away from my count, I will be there, as I've said time and time again, I will be at SummerSlam, NXT TakeOver Brooklyn, and Raw that Monday night. It's going to be a blockbuster, 72 hours. I have no idea how I'm going to be able to stay awake. through <laughs> All three shows, because last year I was pretty much dead by the end of SummerSlam, just from going to TakeOver and SummerSlam alone. I have no idea how I'll be able to manage all of that from TakeOver, SummerSlam to Raw. But it's going to be a blast. It's going to be a blast. So look, very much look forward to um, SummerSlam weekend in just 54 days away. It's going to be amazing. The month of June, we're quickly closing in on the end of June. And it's been a really, really good month. I mean, nothing short of, uh, of excellent, in my opinion. Nothing short of what I expected it would be, considering we had TakeOver at the end to kick off the month. We had Money in the Bank. Best in the World this past week, which I'll talk about momentarily, as well as TNA anniversary So a lot of, you know, jam-packed events from all around wrestling. It's been a really, really good month. July should be just as good, if not better. Ultima Lucha is coming our way. The Cruiserweight Classic, which I'll also talk about momentarily as well. Uh, so a lot of cool things in store for the summer season, not only in WWE, but the, the entire wrestling world that I very much look forward to. So I'll start off with this on today's show. So I hate when this happens, but... Whenever news breaks, right after I record WrestleRant Radio. So we may not be running into these issues because I feel like all the news breaks, like all the, the groundbreaking stories either break Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. And when it falls under, when, when it occurs, when when it, when it comes to a point when something happens on a late Tuesday night after I record the show... Or on a Wednesday, like when the draft news broke, uh, you know, about a month ago, that broke on a Wednesday. I recorded the show on Tuesday, so I had to do an exclusive audio piece for the website on Wednesday, talking all about it because I couldn't wait until Tuesday. Hopefully, I don't run into that same issue when I move the show to Thursdays next month, starting July twenty first. Don't miss it. Uh, WrestleRent Radio, as I talked about last week, will be moving to Thursdays permanently. So hopefully, by that point, we won't we won't run into that same issue because everything will have happened already by that point in the week. But there are times where, you know, stories break on a Tuesday, on a Wednesday, sometimes right after I record the show, just like last week. So I recorded the show around 11, 12, 1, whatever it might have been, put up the show around 2, left for work around 3.30, but right before leaving for work, literally five minutes before I was supposed to leave, I got a text from Tom, Tommy Sharp, my co-host from WWEC Radio, saying that Roman Reigns got suspended. And I could not believe it. I thought he was joking for a second. So I looked it up myself on the WWE app, and it right there, and in plain English, Roman Reigns suspended for 30 days for violating the WWE wellness policy, and I could not believe it. So I'm not going to give my full thoughts on it here, just because I could not wait until today to talk about it. It's been a week by this point. So, like I said, I wish, not that I wish I recorded the show later on that day, but just shit happens sometimes, and I would have recorded something, I would have added something onto the show on Tuesday night or on Wednesday, but I was working both days. <clears throat> So, I didn't really have the time to record an extra audio piece. So, I just talked about it in the random video blog on Friday on the YouTube channel. If you're not already subscribed, please do so at youtube.com backslash C backslash Graham GSM Matthews. Um, so, I talked it all, I talked all about it for about 20 minutes on Friday. And as of Monday's Raw, nothing really has changed. I mean, they acknowledged it. I'll talk about that soon enough as well. They talked about it. They acknowledged the suspension on Raw, but they kept him in the match. Roman Reigns as of this moment, we will still be competing for the WWE World Heavyweight Championship at Battleground on June, or rather July 24th, in four more weeks, uh, you know, in in the main event for the title, so, alongside Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose. The match is still on, Roman Reigns is still in the match, not the happiest camper when it comes to that, but I will talk about that more in my Raw review momentarily, so I just wanted to address that off the bat, that my full thoughts, I will not be talking about it here, I talked all about it on Friday in the random video blog for YouTube, check it out for my full ranting thoughts on the Roman Reigns suspension situation. So before I move forward here into my Raw review for this week, for uh, June 27th, which also had a you know, a very notable date in WWE history for two different reasons, which I'll talk about momentarily as well. A few different news items here. Uh, Ring of Honor, like I said, had their best-in-the-world pay-per-view this past Friday. Overall, I thought it was a good show. Not a great show. The crowd sucked. Um, there was one friend of mine that was in attendance for the show. I mean, nothing against him, but the crowd overall just wasn't really that good. Maybe they were mic'd poorly, I don't know. But the pay-per-view overall, though, disregarding the dead crowd, I thought was pretty solid. A lot of good matches. Did we have any title changes? I don't think we did. I'm pretty sure everyone retained their titles. Um, the Really, in my opinion, the only two matches worth watching from the show. The entire show was pretty good, but nothing really felt urgent or you know, uh, important or meaningful up until the final two or three matches. I mean, the TV title match was all right, but it didn't really feel musty in my opinion. The two matches that I felt were great, that I felt like you should go out of your way to see, were the uh, Kevin Sullivan returned in the match between Steve Carino and BJ Whitmer, a feud that had been building for a long, 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 long time, even long before I started getting, getting back into Ring of Honor Wrestling. Um, last summer, last June. So this feud had been building for a long time now and had been a long time coming. Steve Carino has not wrestled the match since God knows when. I remember he wrestled Kevin Owens in his final Ring of Honor match about two years ago. That is the last memory I have of him in the ring. He's probably wrestled since then at some point, but he has not wrestled since I you know, got back in the Ring of Honor in the past year because he's been out with an injury at one point, and he thought he would never wrestle again because of the neck surgery, but he is back in the ring. So it wasn't your traditional wrestling match, obviously. It was a not a death before dishonor, but a fight without honor match. And we saw something similar between Dalton Castle and, uh, what's his name, Silas Young, who also had a great match in the undercard with a- uh, ACH, by the way, on this show. Uh, a really, really good match, kind of an unsanctioned match, so no rules, no disqualifications, no countouts, no nothing. Uh, no nothing. But I thought it was a really, really good match. Both guys worked extraordinarily well together, for, especially for a guy, like I said, that had not been in the ring for a long time. B.J. Whitmer is not regarded as being one of the best wrestlers in Ring of Honor right now, but the feud had been building for so long that it felt like it had an urgent pace to it. Both guys were just beating the living shit out of each other. And typically, I'm not really one for hardcore matches anyway, so it's not like it was a bloodbath and that's why I loved it, but because it was befitting of the feud, both guys put stro- put forth a very strong effort. And it really blew off the the rivalry in a huge way. So it kind of felt very meaningful in that respect. So I thought it was a really, really good match. Like I said, we had the return of Kevin Sullivan on the nine-year anniversary of the Benoit tragedy, which was mind-blowing to me, very eerie. Uh, speaking of which, Nancy Benoit sister, I believe her name, God, I forgot her name, but Nancy Benoit's sister, the wife of Chris Benoit, she was on the podcast of Chris Jericho, the Talk is Jericho podcast, last Friday, Really, really good listen. I would strongly recommend going in every way to listen to it. Uh, very gruesome details in regards to the deaths of uh, Daniel and his wife Nancy. Very horrifying stuff, but very enlightening too, and I commend her for doing the podcast. She didn't have to, but she wanted to, so uh, good stuff there. Also check out that podcast. That was a you know, little relevant aside there. But anyway, so really, really good match between... Steve Carino and BJ Whitmer, like I said, Kevin Sullivan coming in, making his return. For whatever reason, I have no idea what you know role he played in this rivalry. I haven't paid too much attention to it. I haven't paid too much attention to the feud. But uh, a really, really good match. Two thumbs up. It you know BJ Whitmer came out on top after interference from Kevin Sullivan. And the main event also I thought was really, really good for the Ring of Honor World Heavyweight Championship, a rematch from last year's show between Jay Lethal, and the defending champion, uh, or rather the defending champion Jay Lethal and the challenger Jay Briscoe. Uh, They had a great match last year with both championships on the line, the Ring of Honor television title and the Ring of Honor World Championship. This show is no different. I'd have to watch the other match back to kind of compare the two. I felt like the other match might have been better just because the stakes were higher. And here I felt like, yes, it's it's cool that they've held off on doing this match until last year or since last year, but I feel like the build wasn't really there. I mean, they announced it out out of nowhere about a month or so ago that Jay Briscoe, Jay Lethal 2 was taking place at Best in the World. But what has Briscoe done to really earn himself another shot at the championship? He's been teaming with his brother on and off for the past year now. He really hasn't done that much of note. They didn't win the World Tag Team titles. He hasn't really scored many credible singles victories on his own over the past year. So it felt to me that it was all about billing it as one year in the making, but the continuation of the feud really wasn't there. Like I said, it was a really, really good match from an in-ring standpoint. But I didn't really think for a second that Jay Briscoe really had a chance of coming out on top as the new champion. Just because Ring of Honor has done next to nothing in building him up as a top star. And he is a top star in Ring of Honor, obviously. But I really felt that they had not done enough to make this match feel as important as it should have been. The billing was there. you know, All the tools were there to make it a real marquee match of Ring of Honor. One year in the making. They haven't faced off since. Jay Lethal has been the champion ever since he beat Briscoe for the belt a year ago. But again, Briscoe really has not been, pretty much at all from my memory anyway, in the main event scene since last June. So it kind of came out of nowhere. But like I said, still a very, very good match regardless. In the end, Lethal retaining his Ring of Honor Championship successfully and in clean fashion. Where it goes from here, I have no idea. I would love to see Jay Lethal break the record. I believe it's a year or two, a year and a half maybe, that Samojo held the Ring of Honor World Championship for. So Briscoe, I think, or rather Lethal, has got the champ- got to hold the championship for another six months maybe. Until the end of 2016. But other than that, I thought this was a really, really good match to cap off. A good show, not a great show. Like I said, I would not recommend the entire show to you. But um, definitely check out those two big matches between BG Whitmer and Steve Carino in the main event between Jay Lethal and Jay Brisk over the World Championship. So two thumbs up there. Also related Ring of Honor news. Roderick Strong and Moose might be leaving Ring of Honor in the near future. Or not might be, but they are leaving Ring of Honor in the near future. Both of their contracts are up. Roderick Strong, I believe, has wrapped up his Ring of Honor dates. He competed at best in the world, lost to Mark Briscoe, you know, doing the honors on the way out, which is very commendable, obviously, the traditional way of doing things. Moose, I believe, is not yet gone, but he will be gone in the near future. I believe he is doing dates for Ring of Honor in the next month or so, but it's strongly believed that he will be en route to WWE sooner rather than later. Now, I've heard conflicting reports on both ends here. And I've read for years, for the past year and a half now, that Moose was WWE bound. WWE had a lot of interest in him for NXT. And um, I believe at one point he was almost rumored for the Tough Enough show. For last year's show, they wanted to bring him in. And he made a smart decision in sticking with Ring of Honor for multiple reasons. One, where he can continue to grow. Um, I don't think he was quite ready yet if they called him in last year. To WWE had he gone with the Tough Enough Show. <clears throat> and that show was such a train wreck, which I talked about before. I mean, I enjoyed it for what it was. But overall, though, I mean, they signed half the guys that were a part of that show. Moose, though, unlike multi- uh, many of those guys, other than Patrick Clark, already had experience. So putting him on that show would have been just a disaster. Because he really already had, he already had a leg up on the competition. He easily should have won. Had he been in the show, would he have won? Who knows? But Patrick Clark, who was the fan favorite for most of the show, got eliminated halfway through. So you don't really know until it happens. So I'm glad he's stuck with Ring of Honor for the past year. Um, I think it is time to go though, unless they do something with him. You know, they do something else with him in the, in the months to come, which I don't really see as the case. And being the case, I think he is kind of better off in NXT and WWE. I mean, he's had a great run in Ring of Honor. When I first started watch, watching Ring of Honor about two years ago, that when he first came into the company. And he was very, very green. They put him with, I believe, uh, what's her name? Cedric Alexander's old manager. I completely forgot what her name was. Uh, Veda Scott. They put him with her for a while. And it worked out for the better. Um, I thought he really kind of grew leaps and bounds. He broke off from her about a year ago and has embarked on his own singles run over the past year as undefeated. Um, I mean, he's suffered multiple losses. Not many, but a few here and there. But by and large, he has been very much protected in Ring of Honor, so he's been a big star for them but he really hasn't done much of note for the past year or so since he broke away from Beta Scott. He had that short-lived feud to Cedric Alexander, who is now in WWE, by the way, as part of the Cruiserweight Classic, which is great. Um, he really hasn't done much of note other than that. He might have teamed with someone from Japan or Michael Elgin or I forgot exactly what he's been doing, but he really hasn't done that much of significance in the past year, so I think it is time for him to move on to bigger and better things in WWE. I think he would fit in. Just perfectly. I mean, he's got the size alone. The size alone, in addition to his skill in the ring, should really bode well for him in WWE and NXT. Roderick Strong. Like I said, well, even before Roderick Strong with Moose, I did read something about a week ago from 411 uh, 411 Mania, 411 Mania, whatever. Their wrestling section that had been credited to Dave Meltzer, I believe, of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, saying that WWE at this time had no, not no interest, but there were no plans in bringing in Moose to... WWE, or he did not exactly know, he wasn't quite sure where he was heading after Ring of Honor, so I'm not exactly sure what the deal is with that, but I think at the end of the day, he is Ring of Honor bound, and he will be in Ring of Honor, or rather, he is NXT bound, and he will be a part of NXT before the year's end. Uh, but with Roderick Strong, he is also rumored or you know, to be WWE bound, he could be an excellent addition, in my opinion, to NXT. I've heard from various people that he might be headed to Japan because of... For whatever reason, something that Ring of Honor wasn't really doing much with him, I mean, a lot like Cedric Alexander and Moose, I mean, more so Roderick Strong, or more so Cedric Alexander, he had been floundering for a long time before he left Ring of Honor about a month ago. Roderick Strong's been there since day one, you know, obviously called Mr. Ring of Honor, Mr. ROH for a reason, but, and he had that good reign as Ring of Honor television champion for a few months. But other than that, he really also has not been doing much of note in Ring of Honor, so it was time for him to leave as well. If they weren't going to put him in the world title picture or give him another shot at the world championship, it was time for him to go. So I'm glad he's gone, and I'm sure he's going to end up in WWE NXT before long as well. I would love to see him in NXT. And they need all the talent they can get. Obviously, with the draft coming up on July 19th, and they're having two separate shows now. They're going to need all the talent they can get for NXT and the main roster. Because I very much imagine that a lot of guys from NXT will be getting the call-up. Maybe Shinsuke, Samoa Joe, Finn Balor and obviously a given. Austin Aries, um, multiple others as well. Bobby Roode. So I could see many of those people getting the call-up to the main roster sooner rather than later. Leaving vacant spots behind in NXT. Now like I said before, I'm not really worrying at all about NXT. Because they have so much talent under contract. That is yet to debut on NXT TV. But that being said, they need star power. They need established names. Guys like Tucker Knight and Hugo Knox and all these other guys that have potential that we've been seeing do live events for NXT but not yet make it to TV. They have potential. They can be very, very good. But they need that star power that Nakamura, Aries, Joe, Balor brought to the brand. And I feel like Roderick Strong and Moose are two big pieces of that puzzle that can really fill in those vacant spots and fill in, you know, you know, fit in just well with the other talents in NXT. Uh Roderick Strong, like I said, a great in-ring worker, Moose has come a long way. So both guys, I would love to see in NXT. I don't know if officially if that's where they're ending up when their Ring of Honor days are over. Like I said Moose I feel like has to fulfill a few more contractual obligations in the months to come or in the next month to come anyway. Whereas Roderick Strong I think is officially gone. He competed at Best in the World, he competed at the TV tapings the next night to wrap up his run of the company, and I believe he's officially done with Ring of Honor, so he can continue talking or, you know, commence talks with WWE, Triple H, NXT, whoever, and I feel like, like I said, he would be a great addition to the NXT roster as well as Moose. So that is the Ring of Honor news for this week. Uh, Also talking about coming to WWE returns along those notes. So I mentioned, I might have mentioned on the show here last week, I don't remember exactly, I don't think I did, but... Rumors have been running rampant for a while now in regards to Kurt Angle coming back to WWE. Is a return likely? Will it happen? Blah, blah, blah. In regards to how, obviously, he wrapped up his TNA run earlier on this year, and now with the brand split going into effect, a little less than a month away, only three weeks away, I believe, that WWE needs all the talent they can get for the brand split, for Raw, SmackDown, whatever. And a report came out they were talking to, or they had reached out to Kurt Angle, to Goldberg, to Jeff Hardy, Carlito, MVP, all these others. Um, I don't know about Carlito. I don't know about MVP in regards to if they've been, you know, talked talking to WWE or not. I have heard nothing from them. I believe Jeff Hardy, same thing. Uh, Goldberg has since come out and said they have not reached out to me about the brand split. So I don't think that that report is entirely correct. I would imagine I'm not. You know, I would not put it past WWE to have talked to former talents about coming back for the brand split. But it doesn't necessarily have to be those guys. You know, Kurt Angle, Goldberg, Jeff Hardy. Those have got, those are guys that have been rumored to return for a long time now. I can't tell you how many times I've seen Kurt Angle's coming back or Goldberg's coming back or Jeff Hardy's coming back and that's has yet to happen. So um, I'm not denying that they didn't talk to him. Maybe, you know, Angle and Goldberg are just covering it up. But I imagine that it's definitely likely. Actually, I'm almost positive that WWE has reached out to former talent in regards to coming back to the company for the brand split, but it probably isn't necessarily those guys specifically. You know, I feel like we heard that report of them talking to ex-talents about coming back for the company, to the company for the brand split, but then names are attached that don't really match the report. You know what I mean? I feel like Goldberg, Hardy, and Angler are just go-to guys in terms of coming back, and this was their excuse for returning the company and just putting a name. You know, if that that makes any sense, I know I'm kind of confusing myself here, but... I feel like the part about WWE talking to old talent is true. I don't necessarily think the part about them talking to specifically Goldberg and Angle is a hundred percent accurate. Angle has said, however, this is the big deal here. This is the big news story from the past week. He did say about a week or so ago that he had been in talks with Triple H with WWE um, about six weeks or you know six weeks so six weeks ago or so about coming back to the company at some point within the next year. Um, he had not been reached out to, been talked to about the brand split specifically, but he did have talks, I mean, six weeks ago would have been before the brand split news broke anyway, but he did have, he did have talks with the company about six weeks or so ago, he said, about coming back to the company, um, in some form or fashion at some point down the line to work a part-time schedule, because if Kurt Angle came back to the company to work as a full-timer, the guy would fucking die. His health is not in the best of, I mean, he's not in the best of shape in terms of his health. The guy's been injured how many times in TNA? And uh, so he he cannot come back as a full-time, at work in Raw, SmackDowns, house shows, all that shit. If he's coming back, he's got to work a part-time schedule. You know, a la Chris Jericho or Rob Van Dam or a Batista. He doesn't have to wrestle two or three times a year like a Brock Lesnar or a Rock. But he can't come back, you know, I feel like for a few pay-per-view matches a year. Or every other pay-per-view or just pay-per-view matches. Having him wrestle as regularly as those guys, as the full-timers, is way too much for the broken-down body of Kurt Angle, in my opinion. But he is well worth the investment. It's a long time coming. He's been gone for the company for almost exactly a decade. Can you imagine that? He's We are quickly coming up on the 10-year anniversary of when he left WWE initially, back in August of 2006. So it's really hard to believe, but we could be seeing Kurt Angle back in WWE at some point. So the big deal is this in regards to Angle coming back. So he did say, I talked to WWE... But then Dave Meltzer said that he talked to people in the company in the past week saying that they said they had not talked to Kurt Angle. There have been no talks between the two sides whatsoever. Then Angle had a follow-up story saying that his words got twisted. He is not coming back for the brand split, but he will be back at some point. So it's kind of contradicting reports. You know, Angle has come out and said various things in the past that aren't necessarily true, so you got to take what he says with a grain of salt. WWE may not want to ruin the surprise. Obviously, they're not going to come out outright and say, yeah, we've been talking to Kurt Angle about coming back to the company. They're not going to spoil it, you know, outright. So I'm not surprised they said we're not talking to him, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're not. Um, I do think Kurt Angle, a return from him is only inevitable. Like I said, a full-time return shouldn't happen, probably won't happen. It, it couldn't happen because Angle just, his body is not made out for that. It's not You know, it's just, it can't function that way. At least at this point in time, in this stage of his career, he cannot work a full-time schedule. The guy would fucking die. So that's not happening, nor do I want to see it happen. I think a few pay-per-view matches a year would be perfect for him. So hopefully we see that in the next year. I've heard reports, I've heard people say that the Raw after Battleground is in Pittsburgh, so maybe we see him come back then. I don't think so. I don't think it's going to be that soon. It would be amazing, though. And also considering SummerSlam is right around the corner, they want star power for that show. I mean, last year we had Brock Lesnar on the show. We had Mick Foley come back, Jon Stewart, uh, The Undertaker for the first time in six or seven years competed at SummerSlam. So I would not put it past them to um, have him return at the show. So it, it would be pretty cool to see Kurt Angle back in time for SummerSlam. Not just because I'll be there, but I think it'd be a great get for the company if he was able to appear on the show. Um, that is the latest on Kurt Angle coming back, though. Like I said, nothing confirmed, obviously, as of now. But regardless of what either sides have said, I do fully believe that he will be back in, in some capacity at some point. I know we talked about maybe managing um, American Alpha. That would be pretty cool, but I feel like it just doesn't need to happen. I know there there's ties there between the world's greatest tag team, American Alpha, Kurt Angle. It'd be awesome for like a one-off segment. That's like bringing Hulk Hogan back to to manage the real Americans. You know what I mean? It just doesn't... Need to happen. So, you know, had that happen a couple of years ago. I feel like maybe a one-off segment between American Alpha and Kurt Angle or a backstage encounter or something would be cool. You don't have to have them manage them just because they don't really need it. They're they're great on their own. They're amazing as it is. So you don't really need them to be put with Kurt Angle. Like I said, for maybe a one-off, that'd be cool. But for a full-on managing... I mean, I'm not saying I would hate it, but I'm just saying it's not really all that necessary, if that makes sense. But anyway, the latest on Kurt Angle that nothing has been confirmed... Uh, you know, all we know is that we really know nothing in regards to Kurt Angle coming back. You know, officially, anyway. Like I said, I do think he will be back with the company at some point, probably sooner rather than later. He has said in the past that he wants to take a year from wrestling, which isn't entirely true. So, you can't really believe what Kurt Angle says just because he's wrestled matches already against Rey Mysterio, sacked Zaber Jr. He's wrestling a match against Cody Rhodes and Northeast Wrestling in uh, in August. So, you can't really believe all that Kurt Angle says, but it will be interesting to see if Angle's back, when he's back, because like I said, I feel like he will be back at some point. It's more a matter of when than if. But uh, hopefully, for our sake, it will be sooner rather than later. So, also, before we get into the Raw review here, Brock Lesnar has been revealed as the cover superstar for WWE 2K17. Awesome! I mean, the cover superstar doesn't really matter too, too much. I mean, it's all about the gameplay. I don't play the games too religiously anyway, um, They are great games though, I'm not really as critical of the games as many other people are just because I'm not a huge gamer, but the cover superstar is a big deal for what it is worth, I know it has nothing to do with the gameplay, but it really shows, I mean if you look at the past few cover superstars for WWE, so I mean last year we had Stone Cold Steve Austin, which was understandable just because he was the you know the, the big game mode for last year and You know, 20 years of Stone Cold, Steve Austin, and WWE. So it made sense, and he was, uh, you know, 316, 2K16. It made perfect sense to have Stone Cold as the cover superstar for the game. Uh, The year before that, we had John Cena. Why, I have no idea. I believe it was his first game cover by himself. So I guess that was cool. Um, So good for John Cena, I guess. But we had John Cena on 2K14, or 2K15, rather. 2K14, I think, was The Rock, um, which, again, kind of came out of nowhere. He hadn't been on TV for, like, a year at that point, so to have him on the game cover, to me, was kind of odd, or, like, not worthless. I could see why, because you see Rock on the cover, you're going to want to buy the game. But by that point, he hadn't been with the company for so long that it was kind of a head scratcher why he was on the game cover. But anyway, that was 2K14. 2K13 was CM Punk. WWE 12 was... I don't think we... Did we have anyone on the cover for WWE 12? I don't really remember, but the last couple game covers have been pretty cool. Now, Brock Lesnar on this one was long overdue, you know, Lesnar's first WWE game cover since, God, I don't know, um, one of the, you know, Here Comes the Pain games. Lesnar's been in the game since WWE 12, but he has yet to have his own cover since, you know, the Here Come the Pain uh, Here Come the Pain days, so that's like early 2000s right there, and those games were great. Um, but he's well-deserving of the spot, in my opinion. I mean, no one has been hotter in the past year and Brock Lesnar. I know you can argue Seth Rollins or Roman Reigns or Dean Ambrose. Would it be cool if we got a, you know, a current up-and-coming superstar on the cover? Sure. And CM Punk was the last one for WWE 13 since then we've had The Rock, John Cena, Stone Cold Steve Austin and Brock Lesnar. All part-timers or established main event guys. So, uh, you know, in future years a Rollins would be cool, but for Lesnar I feel like this had to happen. I mean, no one like I said has been hotter since WrestleMania 31 than the Beast himself. And the whole theme of this game is Suplex City. That's why people were speculating in the Goldberg commercial if you saw a sign in the in the reflection of the window that said Suplex City on it. And that's the reason why, because Brock Lesnar is the cover superstar for the video game. So I don't think it was necessarily planted the seeds for a SummerSlam match or anything like that like a lot of people were talking about. Which could still happen, who knows. Um, but anyway, for the game Lesnar on top, on the cover of the video game for WWE 2K17... I think it's really cool. Like I said, the whole Suplex City thing has been huge for WWE since they coined the phrase, or rather he coined the phrase himself, at WrestleMania 31, and they made t-shirts out of it, and it became, I own two Suplex City t-shirts, one for New York, one for Boston, two different colors. One's green, one's blue. And putting the name of the city on the t-shirts, on fucking mugs, on sweatshirts, on everything is huge. They have made so much money off that one... Little thing that Brock Lesnar said at WrestleMania 31 as a throwaway comment has become this probably the biggest money maker for WWE merchandise wise in the last year. Um, and I certainly say wholeheartedly that Brock Lesnar has the best merchandise in the entire company. Dean Ambrose is up there, Seth Rollins is up there, but I wholeheartedly agree and wholeheartedly believe in my opinion that Brock Lesnar hands down has the best merchandise of anyone in WWE right now. So, I feel like it was only logical to put him on the cover. I know that really has little to do with the gameplay. The gameplay shit, people won't really care. Um, but I think the, the cover superstar is kind of significant in a way. I think putting CM Punk on the cover a few years ago was a must, considering how hot he was in 2011. Um, but putting Cena on the cover was kind of like, yeah, I wish it was somebody else. Stone Cold made sense for the year they put him on. Rock was a bit questionable. But Brock Lesnar, to me, I know he's not a young, fresh face up and coming on the roster. He's not... You know, like I said, a Rollins or a Roman Reigns or a Dean Ambrose. I realize he's not one of those people, but he is the best thing going in WWE right now, and it could not have come at a better time, with Brock Lesnar being a super hot commodity, returning at SummerSlam and having his first UFC fight in over five years at UFC 200 in only two weeks. So it could not have come at a better time. So from there, we transitioned from the news section to the Raw review for June 27, 2016, which, by the way, marked five years since CM Punk's pipe-bomb promo, which blows my mind that it's been that long. I still distinctly remember sitting there that night watching that Raw, which was a really good Raw, by the way, the Raw Roulette show, which are typically kind of throwaway, but I thought this show was really, really good. Had a lot of good stipulation matches, um, just good matches from start to finish. Obviously, the show closing out with CM Punk's pipe-bomb promo, and and just it really has had this uh, lasting effect on the wrestling industry, in my opinion, so... I rewatched it. I did a whole reincarnation, uh, a mock, uh, a mock um, reenactment of the CM Punk pipe bomb promo on YouTube yesterday. If you want to check that out, please do so at YouTube.com backslash C backslash Graham GSM Matthews. Like I said earlier, um, to plug that channel away, but it's just crazy to think it's been five years since the whole pipe on promo, and just how much has changed since that period in time. I mean, we talk about all the time that all the things that we never thought would be possible five years ago are now possible. I mean, guys like Dean Ambrose, Rollins, and Reigns all being WWE champion. Sting being in the company at one point, getting inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. Brock Lesnar competing both in WWE and in the UFC. The women's division being brought back. AJ Styles in WWE. So many things we didn't think were possible five years ago are now possible, you know? So it really is mind-blowing to rewatch that promo and think how much has changed in such a short period of time. So anyway, June 27, 2016 edition of Raw from last night, we kick off the show with Seth Rollins, who had a bone to pick with, um, or or rather Dean Ambrose came out, or, you know, Seth Rollins kicked off the show. Dean Ambrose soon interrupted him, but Rollins had a bone to pick with the official matchmakers at WWE for putting Roman Reigns in a match that he was already suspended for. He was not happy with the fact that Roman Reigns embarrassed himself. He got verbally buried last night, did the big dog, um, and talking about, and, you know, and them talking about his suspension, how he fucked up, how it's an embarrassment to the company, blah, blah, blah. That was hilarious and well-deserved. I mean, I like Roman Reigns. I feel bad for the guy. But if he's going to be in the main event, they got to, they got to you know, that's part of the punishment is you got to acknowledge it. And I honestly half expected them to completely ignore the entire situation. I don't know how you could. The guy's in the fucking main event of the next pay-per-view for the World Championship. He's one-third of the biggest, you know, main event match in years. So I don't know how you could not acknowledge it, but they did, thankfully, and Rollins completely, you know, ripped him a new one and talking about how big of an embarrassment it was, how it embarrassed him, blah, blah, blah. So out comes Dean Ambrose talking about how it's not going to be a one-on-one match, it's going to be a triple threat, sticking to the way it is. AJ Styles comes out, followed by John Cena saying they want spots in the championship match at Battleground. AJ Styles earned it, considering he beat John Cena at Money in the Bank. And it could very well be a fatal five way at Battleground for the World Championship, setting up AJ Styles versus uh, Seth Rollins later on in the night, or rather, AJ Styles versus Dean Ambrose and John Cena versus Seth Rollins later on in the show. And if AJ and Cena were successful in beating their respective opponents, they would be added to the World Championship match at Battleground. So, really good opening segment. It was really cool, to, for one thing, to see AJ in the same ring as Rollins and Dean Ambrose, which had never been done before, I don't think so, anyway, after that point. So, that was really cool. Our first match of the night, Sasha Banks teaming with Paige that beats the team of Charlotte and Dana Brooke. A good match. I'm glad all the women got entrances this week, which was not the case. I don't think... Maybe not last week. I think it was the week before. Like, the women didn't get entrances or something. It was completely... It just didn't really make any sense. But anyways, this was a good match. All about Sasha for the most part. The spotlight was solely on her. Beating Dana Brooke with a bank statement to score the victory. And it has yet to be confirmed, but I imagine we will be getting Banks versus Charlotte for the Women's Championship come Battleground, which would be a great match. Um, up next, Titus O'Neill taking on Rusev in a rematch from Money in the Bank. And uh, the match was all right for what it was, but I think it was successful in kind of furthering the story there between the two of them and setting up a rematch for the Battleground pay-per-view for the U.S. Championship. I thought, overall, this thing was really, really booked. Really, really well booked. The match itself was really nothing of note. But you had O'Neal pick up a credible victory, Rusev was protected in countout, and it sets up the rematch for Battleground, presumably. So I thought overall, like, all things considered, this was really, really well done. And Titus O'Neal's been really, really doing well since he came back from his suspension. So he deserves another shot at the championship. I don't know if he wins the title. I wouldn't think so. But, um, I, I like the renewed aggression in Titus O'Neal. really kind of gives his character a new meaning. Honestly, I mentioned this on Twitter last night. I would hold the championship not at Battleground, not the, the title match at Battleground. I would hold it next week on Raw. I know it's a holiday show, but that's exactly why I would do it. Just because it's a 4th of July episode. It's the U.S. Championship. Ted O'Neill is like a perfect representative of the U.S. So I would just do the title match next week, and then you can move on to another match between Rusev at Battleground. It doesn't have to be O'Neill; It could be someone else. So, I know they're probably going to save it for the pay-per-view, otherwise they might have announced it by now I think it's going to happen next week on Raw, but with it being the 4th of July, I always, I'm always i a sucker for like a US title match on the 4th of July. They did one in 2014, they did one in 2008 on SmackDown on the fatal 4th of, 4th of July match between Matt Hardy, Chavo Guerrero, Shelton Benjamin, and Mr. Kennedy. I would do the same thing on uh, next week's Raw between Rusev and Tedis O'Neal. It's probably not going to happen, but that's just my two cents. So after that, we had John Cena versus Seth Rollins. Like I said earlier, I've seen him one. Then he would be added to the WWE World Heavyweight Championship match at Battleground in a few weeks. Obviously, really, really good match. These two have never had anything short of a great match together. On Raw, SmackDown, pay-per-views, whatever, these two have always worked. Extraordinarily well together. This was no exception. So, great match here. Rollins, in the end, scoring the victory after interference from the club. Costing, seeing the victory, and keeping it a triple threat for now. So, uh, great stuff. Rollins picks up the victory in... uh, Dirty heel fashion as only Seth Rollins would. The interference, the finish was predictable, but you can't complain about a great match, so two thumbs up there. We have Enzo Mori and Big Cass come out before they take out Squash, these two local athletes in the matter of seconds. Um, they encouraged the crowd to do the wave, which was really interesting. I mean, in the past, WWE shied away from obviously, they've never acknowledged the fans. I mean, they've acknowledged the wave before, but they've never encouraged fans. To do the wave before, during, after a match or whatever. So that was really interesting. I don't know if that's going to become a regular thing going forward. That the crowd is going to start doing waves during the Enzo and Cass matches. But if you ever see that in the future, don't think that's because the crowd is bored. It's just because Enzo and Cass, you know, encouraged the crowd to do the waves. So that was pretty funny. So like I said, the match was inconsequential. Afterwards, the social outcasts made the return. I forgot they were even gone. Uh, they came out, interrupted Enzo and Cass, and... We're gonna we're talking about how they were big movie stars for being in the Marine Five, and then uh, Enzo and Cass quickly beat the shit out of them. So if this is gonna lead if it's gonna leave the one off match, that's fine. If it's a feud for now, that's fine too. You know, Enzo and Cass are winning for one thing. Um, the promo should be entertaining. The whole hard thing last night I thought was it was stupid, but I laughed like a child. I thought it was good. I thought it was humorous for whatever it was. Um, so it could be a nice little filler program, a nice little filler feud for Enzo and Cass for the um, you know for the time being. They're probably not going to move back into the tag team title picture in the near future. I mean, I still say they should face New Day for the belts at SummerSlam. I don't know how likely that is at this point. But I would rather see that match than a rematch between New Day and Wyatt family. So hopefully we get New Day versus Enzo and Cass at SummerSlam. That's where they drop the belts to them. So even if that isn't the case, uh, this is a nice little filler feud but, you know, for Enzo and Cass for right now between them and the social outcasts. Um, The matches could be alright, the promo should be great, should be comedy gold in my opinion. Social Outcasts, they are losers, they're glorified losers, that's what they're designed to be, that's what they are. Um, But they are funny, I like Keith Slater, I like Bo Dallas a lot, Curtis Axel's good too. So it could be a little fun filler feud for these guys before they eventually re-entered the tag team title picture. After that we were supposed to have Becky Lynch versus Summer Rae, but the match went to no contest, never even got started... Because once Becky Lynch entered the ring, she ran right after Natalia ringside, just beat the living crap out of her, and I like that. I mean, it made me think, like, why don't we see this more often? Why don't we see wrestlers when they're in the ring, ready, getting, you know, getting ready for a match? Why do they never go after the person at ringside on commentary, like their rival, you know, who is usually sitting at ringside or on commentary or whatever? Why do they rarely ever go after them? I know they usually go after them like towards the end of the match, like they get involved or they start brawling or whatever. But very rarely, before the match even begins, that that wrestler is involved in, do they go after their rival at ringside. I thought that was interesting. It kind of made me think, like, wow, why don't we see this more often? So I thought it was logical. It was good. Nice furthering of the feud. And moreover than anything else, it's nice to have a feud that's not over the Women's Championship. Um, I couldn't tell you the last time that was the case. I mean, we've had that before, right before WrestleMania. Not WrestleMania itself, I mean... Right before WrestleMania, we had the, um, you know, Becky and Sasha versus Team Bad feud. And then going into WrestleMania, we had the Total Divas versus the True Divas, whatever the hell it was called. And it wasn't really much of a feud, but it was a separate women's match, you know, separate separate from the women's championship match on the actual WrestleMania card. So it's cool to see that for the first time since WrestleMania, we have a feud that's not over the uh, women's championship. I mean, we have a women's title feud, obviously, between Charlotte and Sasha Banks. But it's cool to have another feud going on in the division, and I feel like the division's been kind of stagnant. I mean, I'm happy they're calling it the women's division again, but ever since WrestleMania, it's been all about Charlotte and Natalya and Dana Brooke, and that's about it. But now that Sasha's back, you know, uh, Becky Lynch is now feeding with a heel Natalia. We have all these fresh faces, summarized resurfacing on Raw at long last. So we finally have all these cool puzzle pieces and these fresh faces in the women's division that it's, Making the division more interesting than it's been in a long time. So I'm looking forward to seeing how this feud pans out. Hopefully they square off the upcoming Battleground pay-per-view. After that, we had the highlight reel hosted by Chris Jericho with Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn furthering their feud talking about why Kevin Owens betrayed Sami Zayn in the first place and Kevin Owens refused to give him an answer. And it brought back memories of their great talking segments in NXT from many years ago. from Not many years ago, but from late 2014, early 2015 when Kevin Owens first turned on Sami Zayn. And Sami Zayn would be just heated. He would be just very, very frustrated with Kevin Owens saying, Why did you do this to me, Kevin? It's because you're jealous of me. We used to be such good friends, blah, blah, blah. And Kevin Owens would just stand there. uh, You know, uh, a patented trash talker, but he would just stand there. Very uncharismatic, or very uh, uncharistic of Kevin Owens just standing there before walking off. Before not giving Sami Zayn an answer. So, before you can give him an answer. So I thought that was really cool to see kind of shades of that segment from many years ago in NXT. Back on the main roster, because that's really what the basis of this feud is all about. Sami Zayn, I love the fact that he brought up how Owens could not win the Rumble because of Sami Zayn. He lost his Intercontinental Championship because of Sami Zayn. He did not win Money in the Bank because of Sami Zayn. You know, so I thought it was really cool that we kind of got something similar. Or you know, Sami Zayn acknowledging all their past history from the past year, and um, in, in, you know, on the main roster and all the you know the the run-ins they've had on you know on Raw and SmackDown on the pay-per-view. Throughout the entire course of 2016, how they are in desperate need of one more match at the upcoming pay-per-view to blow off this feud once and for all. And KO said, if you want to fight me, you know, let the powers that be make a match for the Battleground pay-per-view. I will face you one-on-one. Then Jericho, being the obnoxious heel that he was, saying, you know, the gift of Jericho, drink it in, man. And just putting himself over insulting KO, insulting Sammy. They double super kick him, you know, shades of the Young Bucks there, before walking off, so... Really interesting stuff. I'm looking forward to seeing how this plays out. I'm looking forward to the match itself; should be great. On um, this pay per view is really shaping up to be something cool with a Shield triple threat: John Cena versus AJ, presumably part two. Charlotte and Sasha Banks for the women's championship. New Day versus Wyatt Family. Now KO versus Sami Zayn one more time, one more round for uh, one more round at battleground between Sami Zayn and KO. So it's shaping up to be a really, really good show. That match was made official. We only have two matches official for the show as of now for the between the main event and this match, but really, really good segment. I think KO and Sammy are probably going their separate ways come the draft. Otherwise, I feel like they probably would have stretched this out until SummerSlam, which I really would to have rather seen, but um, I- I'm looking forward to the match regardless, and it's not going to be the final time they face off. This is one of those feuds, you know, a la Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose, a la Triple H and Shawn Michaels, that you could do time and time again, that you could revisit year after year, and it never gets old, because their matches are just that great. So hopefully this is not the last we will see of Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn in the ring together. It should be a great match come Battleground. After that, we had Kane taking on The Miz for the Intercontinental Championship. Uh The Miz came back and he in a backstage segment he said, "Where are the of the red carpets, blah blah blah. Where's my big homecoming?" And Kane, Corporate Kane, who made his return on the show after a uh, two or three week absence, he came back and said that you will defend your Intercontinental Championship here tonight because of the 30-day rule, you've not defended your championship in 30 days. You'll defend, you will defend your championship tonight here on the show against a mystery opponent. And I laughed because the 30-day rule, they only acknowledge when they want to. Otherwise, people would have lost their championships a long time ago. So I I laughed at that little joke from, KO, or from, uh, from Kane. I know it wasn't intentional, but I thought that was hilarious. So anyway, The Miz comes out, ready to defend his Intercontinental Championship. And people were speculating. I was speculating. Maybe Neville. I've been saying for weeks now, Neville will be a great... Rival for The Miz, for the Intercontinental Championship. Do that feed over the title. That'd be, you know, they have history from late last year. That could be a really, really fun match. Or even, you know, people were thinking Finn Balor, because they know he'd been teasing being at Raw, which obviously, I mean, he was probably at Raw. The show fucking taped in Florida, obviously. He was probably at Raw, but I didn't think for a second he was debuting. Anyway, especially in a IEC title match with The Miz, of all people. But anyway, so people thought it was Balor, Neville, maybe even Randy Orton, somebody else. But in the end, it was... Kane. Uh, Kane came out, faced Miz for the belt. The crowd could not have given two shits about this at all. They sat on their hands. And even worse, Miz lost via countout. So Kane won via countout. He didn't win the championship, obviously. A championship can only change hands via pinfall or submission. Uh, but that was, or via knockout. He cannot change hands via disqualification or countout. So... The feud appears to be continuing. Hopefully, they blow this off on SmackDown. I just do not give two shits about a Miz and Kane feud. The match was not good. No one cared. I think the Miz in the role that he's currently in as IC champion is great. He's been, he's been doing the best work of his career as IC champion with, the, with uh, Maurice by his side. But a Kane feud does nothing for me whatsoever. No one cares about Kane. I like the guy, but there's just no need for him to be on TV in 2016. I'm um, Big Show being on TV as a part of the uh, the Special Olympics segment. That's completely fine. That's awesome. He's from Tampa anyway. It made perfect sense. But him, Mark Henry, Kane. That's why programming has been so great since WrestleMania because these guys have not been on Raw regularly since WrestleMania. So Kane is back. He went for the belt, won the match, just not the championship. Hopefully this feud gets blown off. Or I, I say feud, but I imagine... This feud will continue. Otherwise, I have no idea why they just wouldn't have Miz beat Kane. It's, there's really no reason to protect Kane in 2016. But anyway, um, hopefully they blow this off on SmackDown or next week on the show because I just do not care about seeing this feud whatsoever. And hopefully we see Miz versus. I'd rather see Miz versus Zack Ryder honestly than a fucking Miz and Kane feud. Or hopefully Neville's his return is not uh, not too in, in the not so distant future because I really want to see him back in the IC title picture before the brand split goes into effect. So after that, we had Apollo Crews teaming with Cesaro against Sheamus and Alberto Del Rio. And I was very happy that WWE actually acknowledged the fact that the League of Nations were a thing between Sheamus and Del Rio. They didn't act like it never happened. They didn't act like they were still best friends. Obviously, League of Nations did not end on the best of notes um, earlier this year, so it was cool to see them tease tension. And in the end, Del Rio smacked Sheamus across the face and made him the legal man before delivering an enziguri to the Celtic warrior before walking off. And then Sheamus got pinned by Apollo Crews. A nice decisive victory for the former NXT upstart. So good stuff there. Good match. No complaints whatsoever. So they teased tension between Sheamus and Del Rio as they logically should have. Crews picked up a big victory in clean fashion. I also liked how Crews, you know, drop kicked the steel steps into Sheamus. Kind of shades of SmackDown last week when Sheamus threw uh, Crews into the steel steps. So good stuff all around. And um, they could continue Crews and Sheamus. I'm fine with that. I don't really see this as a Del Rio face turn nor should it be, I just don't care about the guy, face heel, whatever. But um, I thought overall this was really, really good, probably one of the more underrated moments and matches of the night in my opinion. And then we get to the New Day coming out dressed up as the Wyatt family, doing all fun and games, and Xavier Woods not really acting like himself, he's very, he's petrified, um, as WWE said on commentary or in their YouTube channel or whatever. They soon get interrupted by the Wyatt family themselves, who say they want those WWE tag team titles and the you know the power of evil o- always over o- over the uh, or rather New Day says the power of positivity always overcomes evil and what- whatever else. <clears throat> so a fine segment that set up their tag team title match presumably at battleground. I don't know if it's gonna be three on three or two on two or whatever. Um, the whole Xavier Woods thing I will see where it goes. I'm not really sold on it just yet. Depends what the end game is. I am intrigued for whatever that's worth. I am intrigued. Um, But if this this feud is going to work, New Day's got to become more serious. You cannot make the Wyatt family, you know, comedic filler. You cannot bring them down to the New Day's level. Rather, you have to bring New Day up to the Wyatt family's level. And I'm not talking about that in terms of talent or anything like that. The New Day are amazing. But in terms of comedy, you cannot make the Wyatt family comedic figures. We saw that at WrestleMania with the Eater of Hot Pockets and all fucking Bray Wyatt rock shit, which was awful. And, um, you know, all these months later, they need to become a serious, dominant, Force to be reckoned with again. They cannot become comedy players in, in the mid card scene, in the tag team scene. It's got to be a serious New Day versus a serious Wyatt family. Some more of that here towards the end of the segment, so I'm fine with that. But we'll see where we'll, we'll see where this goes between Xavier Woods and the Wyatt family. I don't know if he's going to join them or what the hell is going on, but uh, we'll see. We'll, we'll see where this goes in the upcoming future. And then we get to the main event: Dean Ambrose versus AJ Styles of AJ Styles. won, he would be added to the WWE World Wwe Championship match. At Battleground, uh, between Rollins, Reigns, and Dean Ambrose. Really, really good match. A lot like with Cena and Rollins, the ending outcome was never really in doubt. But for a first-time-ever encounter, I thought it was good. I enjoyed it for what it was. And uh, In the end, Dean Ambrose scoring the victory via Dirty Deeds after a distraction from John Cena at ringside. So the match remains at Battleground a triple threat for the WWE World Heavyweight Championship between Dean Ambrose, Roman Reigns, and Seth Rollins, the original three members of The Shield, And like I said earlier, I imagine we will be getting uh, Ambrose, or rather Cena versus AJ2 at Battleground. So, very good main event to close out. A uh, pretty good show. I mean, I did not see a lot of universal praise for the show, kind of down the middle actually, but I personally enjoyed it. I thought the three hours did not drag as much as they typically tend to, and I thought adding the stipulations to the Rollins and Cena and the Ambrose and Styles matches were really, really good. Otherwise, I mean, they still would have been really good matches, but adding the stipulations that if Cena and aj won they would be added to the world championship match at Battleground. So making those matches feel more important. It's not just, you know, random ass outcome. It doesn't matter who wins. It did matter who won. Because <clears throat> excuse me, if, if the right people won, the main event of the next pay-per-view would be changed to a fatal four-way or a fatal five way. So I thought it made those matches feel more meaningful. Um, the O'Neill and Russa feud is well furthered. We might get that championship match either hopefully next week, like I said, probably not, or at Battleground. The women's stuff I thought was really, really good. The women's tag team match was great. Um, the Becky and Natalia feud was well further too. The Wyatt Family New Day stuff not my cup of tea, but it was what it was. Uh, the highlight reel I thought also was really really good, setting the stage and confirming that match for Battleground in a few weeks between Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens. The Enzo the uh, Enzo and Big Cat stuff I thought was good too, really fun stuff. And then the only real low point of the show in my opinion was Kane and The Miz. That was a total disappointment. But uh, hopefully, like I said, that feud will not be for the long term and it will get blown off either this week on SmackDown or next week on Raw. So that was overall Raw. Um, I thought very, on the whole, I thought it was a pretty good show, setting the stage for Battleground in a few weeks. A lot of good matches, some pretty smart booking overall, I thought. I thought overall there's a lot of smart decisions made in terms of the booking regarding, you know, Battleground and Raw outcomes and match outcomes and whatever else. The IC title match was the only thing I didn't really like, but other than that, a solid three-hour show this week. So like I said, Battleground quickly coming up in three more weeks on the 24th. And like I said earlier, WrestleRant Radio will be moving to Thursdays, starting the Thursday before the pay-per-view, Thursday, July 21st. Uh, I've already got an all new intro set out. Um I can't wait to debut it for you guys on that show. And the reason I'm doing that is obviously because of SmackDown moving to Tuesdays that I don't know when I go back to school in the fall, whether I'll be recording the show in the afternoon again, like I've been doing for this, you know, for the, most of 2016. We're also be recording it. I'll be recording the show at night. I'm not exactly sure yet. So to kind of avoid all confusion and avoid all conflicts and stuff with SmackDown airing live on Tuesdays, I'm going to do the show on Thursdays. So we're going to talk about Raw, SmackDown, NXT, and the pay-per-views. I don't know if the show if WrestleRant Radio will remain one hour long. If anything, it might be an hour and a half. I feel like two hours is just way too long. Um, but an hour to an hour and a half, I feel like, is pretty justified. Spend... Hey, if we have, you know, uh, if we have a non-pay-per-view week, it could be raw, smacked and NXT, 20 minutes each. So I'd be fine doing that. You know, we'll see how it plays out. But what is official, WrestleRant radio moves to Thursdays, July 21st. Don't miss it. And I can't wait to debut the all new intro for you guys, like I said earlier. So before we go off the air here, one more news item I forgot to mention. Um a pay-per-view schedule leaked late last week of what WWE's pay-per-view schedule might look like in late 2016 post-brand split. And among those pay-per-views, this one is pretty much confirmed, not by WWE themselves, but kind of by WWE themselves, that Night of Champions will become Clash of Champions come September, which I think is awesome. Um, I used to be a big fan of the Night of Champions pay-per-view, but I mean, that's I'm talking like 09, or 2010, 2009, and 2008. But then the pay-per-view kind of lost luster in the years that followed. 2011 sucked, 2012 was pretty good, 2013 sucked, 2014 and 2015 were all right. So, Net of Champions no longer my ultimate number one favorite, you know, de facto pay per view in WWE. But it's still a pretty good show for what it is each year. Um, I don't think changing the name will change much about the show, but I do think with the brand split coming back, I've always said Net of Champions at this point in time is pretty much useless, just because with the amount of championships we have in the company and pretty much considering the fact that every title is almost always defended in every pay per view anyway, the Net of Champions serves no purpose. But, with the brand split coming back, and I don't know if it's going to be a Raw show, a SmackDown show, I forgot. But, um, with every championship being defended, it feels like there's more of a purpose for that show to be held. For that show to be, you know, you know, to yeah, for that show to be held in that time of the year in September, whatever. So, uh, Night of Champions, it looks like, will become Clash of Champions come September. With um, WWE changing the name of the Night of Champions to Clash of Champions on their company website, Ticketmaster has it advertised as Class of Champions, like I said. So, nothing is official as of right now, but I think it's a cool change. I have no idea why they didn't call it that from the get-go. Night of Champions is cool, but Clash of Champions obviously has that WCW tie-in. And it's not like, oh, we hate WCW pay-per-view names. They called one of their fucking pay-per-views the Great American Bash. So, it's not like, you know, it's because it's a WCW creation, we can't use it, or because that's why we don't want to use it, because Vince hates WCW... He doesn't like to give credit to things he didn't really, you know, give birth to or whatever. It wasn't his idea. But they had the Great American Bash for five or six years, so I have no idea why they didn't start doing the Clash of Champions earlier. But better late than never, I think it's a cool change. Uh, As for the rest of the pay-per-view schedule, I didn't see exactly what it looked like, but from what I saw, it looked like we were getting No Mercy back, Backlash, Roadblock might become a Raw show in late December, which I think is freaking cool. I think that's awesome. Um, I don't know about the roadblock thing becoming a pay-per-view. I mean, they need more pay-per-views. Um, if, every pay- if every if each show is going to have their own pay-per-views, they're going to need um, more pay-per-views, obviously, if they're going to do them on a monthly basis. But I saw No Mercy coming back. Backlash, like I said, only rumored. I don't know if that's official yet. Would be, again, fucking cool because I miss No Mercy. I miss Backlash. Those are some great pay-per-views right there. Ten times cooler names in the pay-per-views that we have currently. I mean, like I said before, in regards to the pay-per-views, I would just rather have you know each both shows on every pay per view, which I'm completely content with. I know it's it doesn't really take away from the brand split at all. Or at the very least, have pay per views have or have brands have pay per views every other month, which is the way that it used to be back in 05, 06, 07, or whatever. You know specifically oh four oh five oh six when they would have Raw have Backlash in April, SmackDown gets the May pay per view, you know Raw gets the June pay per view. So I would do it that way just so it isn't oversaturated. When you have two pay-per-views a month, that's fucking like 24 shows. That's ridiculous. That's like 20 to 24 shows when you have the big four shows um, every other month or, you know, every month or whatever, That which will, conti- well, which will consist of both brands. So I'm not a big fan of doing pay-per-views every month. But, but if we do get the returns of Clash of Champions backlash and no mercy out of it, it might be worth it. We'll see, but that's some exciting news on that front. So, that's going to do it, guys, for this week's edition of Rant Radio. As always, thank you for listening and checking out the show. Your support of the show is greatly appreciated. Continue to spread the word of the show on Twitter, Facebook, whatever. Um, the more listeners we get and the more support we get, the longer the show will continue on. I've been doing the show for almost three years at this point, which is crazy to think about for as long as I've been in college. So I'm looking forward to the show continuing on on Thursday night, starting July 21st. No specific time. It's not like we're going live or anything. I know we used to do live... Um, about a year or so ago, when I first started the show, I did it live on Tuesday nights, but it's a lot easier just to record it on Tuesday afternoons like I'm doing right now and then put it up on Tuesday afternoons so you get you guys get the show a lot sooner than you would have if I did the show at 9 or 10 o'clock on a Tuesday night. So on that note, guys, before we go off the air, be sure to check out all my socials, all my plugs on Twitter at Russell Rant. Tweet me there and follow me there. Uh, on Facebook as well at facebook.com backslashgram.jason.matthews. Give the page a thumbs up. On YouTube as well, which I've already plugged multiple times already in the show. YouTube.com backslash C backslash Graham G.S. and Matthews. And right here on the website, nextairwrestling.net. New episodes of WrestleRant Radio every Tuesday for now, but starting on Thursdays, starting July 21st in just three more weeks. Cannot wait for that. And also as well, new episodes or rather new reviews of Raw, SmackDown, NXT, Impact Wrestling, Ring of Honor. And everything else in between and right here on the website going up all the time. So check back to the website nextarwrestling.net every single day for new content going up pretty much every single day of the week. So of course guys, next Tuesday we're talking Raw and everything else going on in the world of wrestling. I had no idea to I'd be talking about the things that I did today in regards to WWE 2K17, Kurt Angle, Moose, Roderick Strong, Uh, the Clash of Champions, so you know, as has always been the case with wrestling, anything can change, anything can happen, so I look forward to another exciting, jam-packed edition of WrestleRant Radio next Tuesday, and I hope you guys join me. So until then, have an amazing week. I'm Graham G.S. Matthews, and I'll catch you folks down the road.